What would it take to arouse your life, to experience more connection, more pleasure, more realness in and outside of the bedroom? I'm August McLaughlin, and this is Girl Boner Radio. Moving past shame and learning to receive pleasure, a G-spot quest that led to a psychedelic masturbation experience, no drugs required, and how to live with more passion and authenticity, or as today's guest, Deborah Kagan puts it, how to rock your mojo. I recorded the interview you're about to hear just before lockdown started here in the U.S. At first glance, that topic, rocking your mojo, might sound a little bit, how can I put it? productivity culture-esque right now, the pressure to be amazing and happy and quote-unquote productive 24-7. I promise it's not. If you are feeling creative and getting a lot done lately, awesome. If you aren't, that's embraceable too. I also think productive is a misnomer. Rest and letting yourself feel, meeting each day where you are and just getting through the day sometimes. These are all absolutely productive. However you feel is valid. If you'd like to experience more light and pleasure regardless of where you're at and hear some wonderful true storytelling, I think you're really going to appreciate this episode. As a speaker, author, mentor, and mojo recovery specialist, Deborah helps thousands of people rock their mojo at live events, through her book, which is called Find Your Me Spot, 52 Ways to Reclaim Your Confidence, Feel Good in Your Own Skin, and Live a Turned-On Life, and her podcast, The Real Undressed. Her hugely popular Rock Your Mojo live event will take place online on May 8th and 9th. So if you're an entrepreneur, small business owner, or creative, check it out at rockyourmojolive.com. And keep listening after our conversation to hear Dr. Megan's wisdom for a listener who wants to enjoy G-Spot play again after trauma has made penetration difficult. I'll also share a very valuable resource for folks seeking emotional support in these perplexing times. Deborah, thank you so much for joining me today. You are so welcome. I'm really glad to be here. (laughs) Would you share a little bit about your background? What did you learn about sex and sexuality early on? Well, (laughs) it was an interesting path. Um, I think, you know, one of my very first memories was uh, playing doctor with a kid across the street. And it's funny, I have, uh, that might be the one memory that I have before six years of age. Like from zero to six, don't have any memory. And my folks got divorced um, when I was about six and a half, right? So, but this one memory I have, uh, I I remember playing with a little boy who lived across the street. And I don't know how it was discovered because we weren't caught in the middle of the of the playing, but somehow it was found out. And then I was absolutely, you know, chastised. I don't think I was punished, but yelled at and never to do it again. And so it was like bad, bad, bad. For for exploring or playing doctor. Was anything sexual? I mean, were you even dealing with like well, we were touching, I think there was like, like showing of parts and stuff, but it wasn't, I mean, there wasn't like, you know, real sexual stuff going on. Yeah, it was the but, nudity and the... Yes, it was the nudity and that you're just not supposed to do that with boys and, you know, it's inappropriate and yeah, bad, bad, bad. <laughs> so it was just bad, bad, bad was really the message. And then I remember a number of years, I was still, I think I was young teen or uh, yeah young teen and I found my dad's playboys I don't know why I was down in the basement and I was I think looking for some school something or other because there was some storage stuff packed away there and um and I came across this stack of playboys and I was like what is this (laughs) and I remember just being titillated and fascinated and like wow, like women can look like this and what's happening in the bodies and positions and the look in their eyes. And it was just super, the word erotic, I can say as a grown up now. And I think that's probably what I felt as a kid. So that was a a, a real early influence. And I'm still 
very, you know, in terms of visually, I love looking at women, <laughs> you know, when it comes to bodies and art and, um, and sex and sexuality. Did you have any feeling or thought then about the fact that these were your fathers? Did it, it sounds like this was a pretty shame-free kind of like, Ooh, this is a little secret, but there sounds like a fun vibe. Did you have any thoughts on like, or connect it to like, Oh, my dad desires women who look like this. Or was it just more, this is beautiful. It was first like, Oh wow, this is hidden. So it was definitely a, a hidden thing because it was stuck in this corner way back in a crawl space of the basement, right? So I, I, I didn't really, I, I was like, oh, I guess, you know, my dad has like desire or I didn't, I don't even know if I knew the really word desire back then in that context, but it felt like it was something hidden and not to be talked about. Mm. And again, bad. <laughs> hidden. So a lot of it was just like, let's not go there. Right. So then once you reach puberty and then you're into your teens and you start having these chemical changes in your body, did you did you have any sort of empowering information? Did you how did that go for you? No, unfortunately, and I'm look, well, let me let me say this first. Fortunately, I'm really pleased to say I have an amazing relationship with both my parents at this point in my life, which took a lot of work um, and a lot of uh, personal development, you know, which is the the world I've been in and professional life that I've been in for over 25 years now. Um, and thankfully, they hopped on the train later on in life. And so it's beautiful. That said, when I was going through puberty, um, my mother literally walked in one day and was just like, when are your breasts going to stop growing? So I did not have an empowering context of, you know, coming into myself as a young girl. Um, I felt very shameful about my body. I did develop early. And so not only did I have that moment with my mother, but I had numerous moments with um, kids at school, right? Because they were like, what's wrong with you? And why do you have boobs? And, and certainly playing sports, uh, which was a requirement, <laughs> you know, I, I did like sports a little bit, but uh, running laps, you know, this was back in the early 80s. Okay. And they were not high tech sports bras back then. So I legitimately strapped on three sports bras just to, you know, try and hold my girls in place. Aww. And everybody just made fun of me and, oh, you're going to give yourself black eyes and, you know, all this sort of stuff. And so it was, it was not fun. Mm. It certainly wasn't fun. And I really wanted to like kiss boys and I wanted to like play around. And so there was all of these mixed messages and these mixed feelings that were super uncomfortable like super, super uncomfortable. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's so confusing, yes. I think, for, for most anyone. And then add that to that, the fact that our parents know less than we know now, their parents knew even less. And <laughs> so it, it is a generational thing that gets sort of passed down for sure. Do you remember what your first empowering, like juicy, fun experience around your sexuality was? Oh, gosh, my first. Okay, because I've had so many as an adult. <laughs> but let me just like go back to, um, you know, I think, you know, what's really interesting. Uh, I think, and this is really popping into my mind at the at this at this moment, which um, I, there was someone that I was dating in high school, and uh, he'd never had sex. And so he was a virgin, and I was not at the time. And we decided, okay, we're going to do this. And I remember, I remember that there was this compassion and that it was empowering in, in that I, I was very conscious of wanting him to be comfortable, number one, um, but also that I had this, I guess, power or there was a, uh, a role that I could play in making it something wonderful. Mm. And so f to be able to, and I guess I need to put this in context as well, because the first time I had sex, I was raped. So that was not a powerful moment. And that was not a beautiful moment. And, and you know, that was an awful moment. And so I think, and I've never really put this together. So I appreciate the question. Um, 
I think being able to provide and and co-create a moment with someone for their first time to have sex, to be so lovely, um, was really empowering. Wow. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's really fascinating. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, I've actually never put that together before. So I'm really grateful to have that now like plugged together in my own system. It must have been a healing experience. You know, it's similar to people who have been sexually assaulted sometimes have fantasies where there is some sort of, um, you know, attack or domination or something that happens, but they have full control Mm -hmm. over it all. Mm -hmm. And it's been shown to be incredibly healing and therapeutic. Yeah. And also, that's not the only population of people who have those fantasies. Who enjoy that. I was going to say, because, yeah, <laughs> I'm all good with that now. But. Right. Totally. Totally. Yeah. But, you know, now, of course, I'm thinking about a bunch of other things. Can I share another one? Please. Okay. Because this was this is actually so – so I had a lover when I was um, – uh, I think I was a senior in high school. And I went to uh, – anyway, I, I went to a boarding school for high school. Um, but I lived in New York City, you know, for, for home – so I would go home a lot and it was my club days and I would go dancing and stuff. So I had this lover who was an adult in the world, you know, so we would get together when I went back home to New York City and we go dancing. Well, he totally opened my world up to like being the object of sort of devotion and the object of like, I'm just going to pleasure you and I didn't understand that yet, right? So he opened that doorway for me of, of being able to receive, which was a game changer, mm. um, and also to experimentation. Because he was the first time that there was like really some sex toys. And it was the first time that there was like flavored lubes and, you know, all of this sort of stuff. And again, this was in the 80s. <laughs> so um, it was... It was fantastic and it was so empowering and it was so exciting to be able to surrender and like give myself over to this partner that all they wanted to do was please me. And that was another shift in my sexual life and certainly my uh, connection and relationship with sex and sexuality. So you had this first experience that was so you know, where you felt really good because you were creating something. So you were the one determining the things and like leading the way perhaps. And then to learn to receive yeah, and to, to realize that that was something that was perhaps in a way missing that, you know, that, that so much of your sexuality was perhaps kind of housed as, Ooh, this is the thing I can provide for people that I enjoy to, Someone just wants to like please me. Oh, absolutely. That was a novel, just an absolute novel concept. And what was great was then that all of a sudden I had that experience and I had the the cellular energetic experience in my body. Then I started to attract lovers who wanted to please me instead of ones who just wanted to totally take from me. Oh. And that was very game changing. And do you appreciate both now? Or are you more of, do you, are you, um, do you do like dominant submissive or is it more just a general receiving versus giving? Oh, well, I like to, I like to play in numerous realms. So, um, um, mostly submissive have done, you know, I can switch, uh, it's a small percentage of time can do it, but it's not the majority of what I like, like Mm -hmm. (laughs) overall. And, um, and yes, there was a, a difference in terms of my level of receptivity that has grown and grown and grown over the years, which I think in what I believe and what I talk about a lot is that when you can become a great receiver, it amplifies what you can give. Yeah. See, because I, I mean, I've worked with women for a couple of decades now, but and most women, and I'm going to be gender, you know, I'm throwing out a generalization about gender here. Most, so I'm not saying all, but I am saying most women are not innately great at receiving. Mm. And I have been on a mission to change that, right? Because when we fill our own cup and we come from a place of overflow, no matter if it's in the bedroom or just in life, you are going to then have that overflow and you will be a better giver. 
So That's so powerful. Yeah. What are some of the signs that someone is struggling with receiving? Because it sounds like in your case, it was kind of a, oh, surprise. Oh, I guess I didn't do this before, which I think is not uncommon. Mm-hmm. What would be some of the signs? Not just in sex, maybe, but definitely sex and relationships. I, I it Certainly, I think it's um, when there's, you know, when you're depleted and feeling exhausted and feeling run down all the time. That's that's a real clue that y- you ain't receiving, right? You are literally just giving, giving, giving and running on fumes. Um, and, you know, in relationship, when you when you're finding that your needs are just not met consistently, mm. not talking about for a day, I'm not talking about even just for a week. I'm talking about consistently like month after month and that you find yourself repeating a pattern of having, you know, being deprived, depleted and um, frustrated. Yeah. And I could see that then leading to some resentment sometimes if you don't know why it's happening where mm-hmm. I feel depleted and... I'm not, maybe you, you feel like you're not receiving because other people are not giving, right? Like you feel like, and maybe that's the case, but I imagine in some ways, as you're saying, if you become a stronger receiver, you attract more to receive, right? So what are some of the steps to, to shift that paradigm? What, what would be a first step for someone who is maybe not doing so well on the receiving? Well, so this is interesting because I, I've talked a lot about mojo. That's, that's, that's what I do. And so let's just, the context of mojo is energy. It's life force, that everything is energy. And whether you call it chi or ki or prana or life force or mojo or sexual energy, it's really all the same stuff, right? And so I think, uh, and I'd love to share just these four pieces because when we look at mojo, it really it has everything to do with receiving. And the first bit is the M that's mindset. Because a lot of people don't even believe that they are worthy to receive, depending on what messages you 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 got and you were surrounded by with your culture, with your family, with your communities. And so to make that shift within your own mind of like, oh wow, it is okay for me to receive. It is okay for me to ask for support. It is okay for me to say, hey, by the way, I'd like it if you went down on me tonight. You know, I mean, it makes a difference. And it's a practice. Like everything I'm about to say and what I'm sharing and what I always share is it's a practice. It's not something, it's not a quick fix. We're not taking a pill here, right? This is something that you will do over and over and over again in your life. And some people get frustrated by that because they want the quick fix. And I understand. I've wanted the quick fix many times. Yes. (laughs) However, the real reality of it is this is called life's work. (laughs) It takes time. Yeah. Yeah. And, and for people who want to shift the mindset, do you feel that it's important to say those things, I am worthy, even when you don't yet believe it? There's a certain level of using affirmation that can be powerful. However, you know, this and this is an interesting conversation in general because it's like, are you just covering up something? that is going to end up breaking down again, no matter how many affirmations you say, all right? So I think I'm just going to go down this little side street for a moment, which is what I call the kinky life, (laughs) which isn't what you all might be thinking. And Lord knows I like that kinky life. (laughs) But this kinky life is the one where the traumas, the challenges, the pains that we've had in our life, which we all have experienced at some level, those are the things that when unaddressed, and unfortunately, usually they are unaddressed at the time that they happen to the extent of transformation, they are layered in our body because again, everything is energy. Talk to an athlete about muscle memory. Talk to, you know, um, even doctors about cellular, you know, regeneration, and cellular memory. Our experiences are layered in our physical body. And when we have a traumatic one that is not dealt with at the time, it will, it's like it, think of it like it, it calcifies. So there's like a hardened kind of um, calcified chunk that is now living in our energetic structure. And our mojo, our life force is always running through us, 
But now it's bumping up against this chunk of hardened stuff. So it's got to bump up against that bump up and it's like, oh shit, okay, I'm getting tired and this is really hard. Or maybe it's just going to kind of get stopped there. Over time, will it chip away at it? Sure. So the point is that without smoothing out and transforming those kinks, it is going to be very difficult to have a totally transformed mindset. Mm. All right? Because the kink is always going to rear its head even with transformation, by the way, which is why you want to be on what I call the mojo path. Because when you are, then when the king comes up, you're like, oh, I know what this is. And you could call another way to call a kink, I think in languaging that you and I have um, had conversations around an activation, Mm -hmm. a trigger, Mm -hmm. right? But it's, I think it's really important for people to understand that those activations and triggers are energetic traffic jams in your body. It's it's part of your neurobiological structure. So it's not just an emotional thing. Yeah. And the brain chemistry changes. I mean, literally, it's physiological. Exactly. Which is why the second piece in terms of receiving, by the way, is the the and mojo, it's what I call the oracle. Okay. Right, so we talked about M the mindset, then O is the oracle. And that's our body. Mm. That's our life below the neck. And I call it the oracle because an oracle, right? An oracle is all knowing. And our bodies have all the information. They're so wise. If, so if we trust wise. them, it's great. They're so, <laughs> right, exactly. And and so again, to be able to receive the information that is actually coming from your body. Truth. Mm. You know who you really want to sleep with. Right? But a lot of times we'll sleep with someone when we don't want to. We just want to either scratch an itch, get off, like have some fun. or And again, there's no judgment. It's just, oh, our body was saying, mm, yeah, maybe not. But you do it anyway. I did that for years when we I was younger. We talk ourselves out of listening to our bodies. Yes. And our body's like, oh, we actually know, like, oh, I, I want to eat that. And your head's going, yeah, no, but I'm going to have like, you know, the bag of whatever instead. Mm-hmm. Um So our bodies really, really know. And when we can receive that information, that makes a big difference. And in terms of our receivership, and also to have a a powerful relationship with our body to open up the receiving muscles makes a difference, Mm, right? Because there's armoring that most of us, again, walk around with. Of course, if you had, you know, trauma in your life, you're armored. It's a byproduct. Of course, you're trying to protect yourself. Right, which is smart. Which is a positive thing, yeah. It's it's smart for when that happens. Right. However. However, yeah. Right? Yeah. When we're talking about becoming a receiver, we need to be able to really, again, open ourselves and breathing techniques are wonderful for this. There's also a certain um, body exercises that I teach a lot that help to open up the front body, which is our receiving side. And I always say, like, if we're not connected to our oracle, our body, see, our, then it's difficult to receive our desires in life because our body is our landing pad for our desires. The secret is great, right? You can say, oh, like, I'm going to visualize X, Y, and Z. But, you know, if your body shut down, it's going to be difficult because then, so true. then you've got, again, the armoring and all these sort of, like, alarms and flares and yes. don't come near me. Yeah. It's one reason that some people who develop vaginismus, which are the involuntary spasms in the vagina, a lot of the time it has to do with some sort of emotional reaction. The body is resisting something because maybe it's not the partner that you want or that partner is being controlling or you have other life stresses. Yes. And there's a, re- your body's trying to protect you. And again, it's opening up to receive what it really wants. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I love that. I just talked to a client about that recently who had been having a, a vaginismus and was just ending a relationship with someone that, you know, they, again, they were not supposed to be with anymore. They'd done their time. And she was so angry, though. There was so much anger for, at this person. And, uh, you know, we talked through some things and also, great lubes and things like this, right, are very helpful. Um, Lube is almost always helpful. Right, right. <laughs> so, um, 
then and then but she met somebody and and it was so beautiful because while there was a process it's like her vagina's happy and fine and they're like there's no problem right it's just moving it was moving through this um cellular Mm. sort of bit this kink that had developed to the point that her body was like nope shutting down to that experience with that person right right? but then that there was the the messaging that needed to be experienced and the actual physical experience of then being with a partner that there was a desire to be with and a trust of that yeah because we can so easily internalize it as there's something wrong with us Mm -hmm. when it's actually situational yes and it can all change yes because the same thing also with lubrication too Right. I mean, it's like you're sometimes you can get super wet with some partners and not so much with other partners. And that can be. And again, it's not I'm not saying it's all emotional and a, a psychological, but there's a lot to that and to check in and listen to the body. It's right? so true. And when there is a physical problem like chronic pain or, you know, another condition that will also impact you emotionally. Yeah. So we can't really, I mean, they're tethered together. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So what's the J? So J is all about joining with the different roles that you play in life. Mm. And which is super fun also in the bedroom, of course. However, it's like, again, modern day society, we're pretty much living in the role and the lane of career, professional life. Right. That's what we're mostly shoved into. Unless, you know, for my stay at home moms, you know, out there, it's like that. But you got to think that's your career, mm-hmm. right? Which is a very yeah. valid career. A hard one. A yeah, a one. very hard one. And so um, that's like the role that we end up living into. But wait a second. Then there's the personal side. Then there's like hobbies that we do. For me, you know, I, I have a biker chick side. Like I have a motorcycle. I like, you know, to, that's a, a hobby. And by the way, like the biker chick, she's a lot of fun to have around. However, we are, again, shoved into sort of this one lane in life. And without the joining of our different roles, we are having lack of self-expression. And that lack of self-expression, again, leads to a place of not being either willing or comfortable to ask for what you want, right? Um, And the thing I always say is like, look, the more self-expressed you are and the more comfortable you are with all the different roles that are within you, like you're going to have a better sex life because then you can dial up the volume, right? Like how fun would it be to just bring biker chick to bed one night instead of just <laughs> regular old Deborah? Right. It's been done, yeah. by the way, and it's really <laughs> fun. Or, yeah. you, or, you know, there are times there's like, there's one of my roles, which she doesn't come out very often, but her, and I like to suggest naming your your roles so you are have a a real relationship mm. with them. And so there's one of my roles that's bubble. Her name's Bubbles, and she's like super ditzy, and she's just not very smart, and um, and she is pure fun. Mm. And my regular life, like I'm fun. I can be a little, you know, more on sort of the serious and I'm going to take care of things. And again, career role like CEO of Mojo Central is very strong. (laughs) So when Bubbles comes around, (laughs) she's hilarious and very different in the bedroom too. That's so fun. So you can use the joining of your different roles, very practical use in life, and it can enhance your sex life tremendously. That is so awesome. Yeah. I want to share something with you because you interviewed me for an episode of your wonderful podcast Mm. that's going to be releasing. And you asked me something that you ask all of your guests about what brings you to feel instantly spiritual, like what connects you to your spirituality. And my first thought I pushed to the side, which was music, like singing and playing guitar. And it's, it's a part of my life that I have, it's really interesting because it's a I feel like music is so much my heart and I literally almost never play guitar sing. I'll go through months and months and months and then, you know, I try to make myself every once in a while. Like if I have a performance, then I will make myself practice or, you know. Um, But as you were saying that, I thought that is one of my roles. Roles. Yes. So thank you because what I'm going to do is – Earlier this year, I had thought about, and again, haven't done it. So <laughs> I'm going to say I'm going to embrace this idea and it'll connect me more spiritually, but also to to bring that music that is so much 
a part of who I am. Yes. Because the thing is for music, me, music is very like, but it doesn't have a, a purpose. Like, <laughs> well, you know, see, but it does. This, I'd love to suggest something for you. And this is what this, I, this is what I teach also. And so we have so much fun with this, with my clients. And, um, I do so, this at my live events too. We, um, so you want to name the role and it could simply be musician, right? And then every role has a signature outfit. Okay. okay. So there's something like when you envision yourself yeah. as, you know, and when you're in your musician role, like there's some kind of vibe in terms of clothing that you'll notice you probably wear either when you're performing musically or there's just something that you gravitate towards, right? So there's a signature outfit. And then there is a pinnacle strength. So your musician actually has a, a strength that is but like if we needed that one thing, we would absolutely call upon your musician role. So for instance, Bubbles for me, right? Her pinnacle strength is fun. And, and then you might be like, fun is a strength? And it's like, oh yeah, you, you got to have somebody who can bring fun to the, to, to the world, right? So that's her pinnacle strength. Biker chick, her pinnacle strength is pure possibility. So when I sometimes I'm sitting and just working on my business and I'm getting like, you know, into the sort of heavy of it and there's what, and I'm starting to think, oh gosh, I don't know how this is going to work or how that's going to work. I legitimately have sometimes gone and got biker chicks, like my gloves that I wear riding, which are very sexy, by the way, <laughs> they're black leather and they have studs on them. They're cool. Um, so I will go get those gloves and I will wear them in my office and I will bring that pure possibility of biker chick. It's like turning up her volume dial to like a hundred for even just five minutes to get that pure potentiality flowing. Mm. And it's like, okay, cool. I can turn her back down to maybe 10, you know, percent and then dial CEO of, you know, Mojo Central back up. Mm. Right. So you, so your mu musician has a strength that is valuable to the rest of your life. And it's about discovering what that strength is. Oh, it's yeah. a fun experiment. I'll have to report mm -hmm, back because I'm mm -hmm. I'm curious what that will do. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to start thinking about, I love the symb symbolism of having something. Like I used to recommend to people if they wanted to be more mindful um, in a certain area of their life that they wear something meaningful that they would like touch or hold or, so I think those things can be such good reminders so I love that idea. I'm yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna do that. Thank you for that. Deborah. I'm excited. Yeah. So and thank you, Bubbles. Yeah. <laughs> She's like just I love hearing her name. It's you like, do. You light up. Right. It's, it's a very different. Like that's it a, brings out an energy. It does it brings out it a whole does. different energy. So, so the second O. The second O and the final bit of uh, the four pillars of Mojo is your oasis, and this is your environment. Mm. So this is your home, your office. For those of us in commuter, you know, um, towns and cities, our cars as well. And it's about creating your space to actually inspire you to be, to fuel you with that life force so that you don't have to work as damn hard. And there's simple, simple things you can do in your environment that make a world of difference. Um, and certainly, you know, if you want to change things in your sex life or with your relationship, it's like, well, you want to first look into your bedroom, right? That's, yeah. that's the hot place to go to. And, um, I just had actually, you mentioned my podcast. We had a couple people, I do an episode where uh, listeners write a question in. And I was so happy because a couple of people asked like, hey, how can I up my seduction skills, right? You know, when my, is there something I can do in my home? And it's like, well, yeah, you can go into your bedroom and you got to check uh, what's happening there. And I'll just share with your listeners right now. There's something that I call the, the three R's, all right? And the bedroom should only be uh, focused on these three R's, which is rest, romance, in, in parentheses next to romance, sex, fucking pleasure, right? But okay, rest, romance, and rejuvenation, mm. right? And anything that does not fall into those three R's needs to go. And we all got a lot of stuff outside of those three R's <laughs> in our bedrooms these days. It's true. Yeah. And it's very distracting. And so that's a simple way you be can start to uh, become conscious of the effect that your environment, your oasis has on your mojo.
I believe that. And I imagine all those steps, I'm imagining the bedroom, decluttering it, or maybe moving a TV out of it, whatever it is that you do, would probably help you sleep better as well. A hundred percent. have more pleasurable sex, but sleep better, which will then contribute to more pleasurable sex. Hello. Because <laughs> sleep deprivation and stress are the biggest libido tankers there are for exactly. everybody. So that's really powerful. Mm-hmm. Have you had an example in your own life? I know your home is full of your mojo and it feels just so welcoming and vibrant. Have you had specific experiences and shifts that you've made that have, have helped you in your life? Well, yeah, when I first got um, turned on to this idea that our environment affects us deeply on all aspects of our life. It was back in 1995, okay, when I first got awakened to this. Um, And what happened was I could not sleep. Now, let me put that in context, because I am a person who can sleep anywhere, anytime. Like I'm sitting here in this chair with you, right? Like across from you, if you said, all right, it's time to like take a nap, I could probably curl up and fall asleep here. Like I'm that person. I can sleep on an airplane. Don't hate me. You know, like I'm like, <laughs> I, I am in awe over yeah, here because no. I'm the opposite. Okay. That's so I'm, I'm, I'm like, I'm, I'm a good sleeper and I'm very grateful for it, but I could not sleep in this apartment. And it was horrendous as all of you who have sleep issues know. And so I worked with this consultant and, um, and it was in the, the field of feng shui. And she says, she said this, 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 and you're going to be better. And she did the rest of my apartment, right? But that night, the one thing I could do was move the bed because it was in the, not a good place in the bedroom. And I moved the bed and I slept like I always had slept before. And that's what, where I went, hello, ding, 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 ding. What is this environment like connection to our sleep and our health? And so that was the first thing that transformed my life to, I mean, in, in a magical, well, it wasn't magical, it was practical in, in a very real way. Um, and I mean, I have so many more when it comes to um, just things with our, our health and things with um, relationship as well. And there are definitely ways where in past relationships that I've experienced an increase and an amping up of like sex and love, you know, by things that were shifted in the bedroom, right? Yeah, Which again, bed placement and removing of, um, like you were saying, TVs, which have electromagnetic uh, fields, right? EMFs. Removing those pieces makes such a difference. Um, And so if I, I, I use my life, I'm like a guinea pig, right? For all the work that I share. So- if I'm recommending it, I've done it and it's worked mm. for me. And then over these many, many years for me. Which is so beautiful because it's we can really trust that you know what you're talking about. Professionally, you've yeah. studied this and you know your stuff, but also you've lived it. Yeah. Which is really powerful. Yeah. So later in the episode, we're going to be talking uh, with Dr. Megan Fleming. The question relates to a G-spot. Mm. And I know that you had a really powerful experience <laughs> discovering yours. Would yes. you share a bit about that? Please? Yes. So I was uh, absolutely hell-bent on discovering my G-spot. This was back in my, I, I guess, early 30s. I had been married and uh, to a wonderful man, but it, not a we just were not connected sexually it, that we, it just didn't work <laughs> for numerous reasons. Um, and so after I left that marriage, I, I mean, I was orgasmic and I could self pleasure and you know, clitoral stimulation, you know, all that, like I knew how all that worked. And I started to become aware about G spots and G spot orgasms, but I had yet to experience it myself. And so I went on this mission and it was legitimately a mission. I went to the pleasure chest, strikes. I thought I'm going to the epicenter in LA, right? Of uh, getting at the time, you know, getting a great sex toy. One of our sponsors, by the way. So oh, thank you for that. You are so I welcome. Love them. I love me the pleasure chest. Yeah, I've been, I've been, I've been a shopper there since 1994 when I moved to Los Angeles. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, my first boyfriend in LA took me there on a date, and I was like, "What are we doing here?" That's a great date idea. Um, it really, it was so much fun. And the staff there is so fantastic. So I just said, hey, what do you recommend for finding a G-spot? So I got to this day, it's my favorite. Well, no, 
there's a tie. Anyway, but, um, it's, it's still one of my top favorite toys. And I was led to this glass G-spot dildo. And so I went home and I tried it. And nothing, I mean, didn't really happen the first time. So I was, again, committed on a mission. And so a couple times later, I, and by the way, I had prepared and made the room an oasis. I mean, there were candles, okay? There was essential oils. (laughs) There was good lighting. And I'm with myself. But again, this is filling your cup, Uh right? Learn how to receive. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm learning how to do this for myself. And anyhow, um... It was with this glass G-spot dildo and patience and breath and the willingness to be in my body deeply because it's a different experience for those of you who know and for those of you who haven't had it, be excited about the different experience. Um, And all of a sudden, it and it was uncomfortable at first. I do want to say that because it was, there was like almost an emotional discomfort and an irritation. And I wanted to stop and I was starting to get mad and I was starting to get frustrated. But again, cellular memory. And especially for those of us who have gone through sexual trauma and who've gone through rape, there are remnants of that in our G-spot, in your cervix, in your, you know, vagina, on your, you know, vulva. It's, it's, on you and in you. And that's what was happening, that irritation. You know, there was just these moments of, okay, I'm starting to feel, but that cellular memory of like, I don't want to feel because that was painful at the time. Mm. And I breathed and I breathed and I was just so committed to transforming and and to feel whatever what there was to feel. And so... again, the commitment to to move through that all of a sudden once, and it it took a little while. I'm talking, this was like 20 minutes, 30 minutes. This was not like a five minute ordeal. And so going through that, all of a sudden there was a sense of this feels good. I'm liking this. Oh, wait, let me go to the left and the right. And oh, what if I slow down a little more and even slower and now if it's just this tap, so it that like something happened to the point where I started to feel good. And then it was like, oh my God, this is going deeper and deeper. And, and an orgasm started to happen like that I have never in my life felt before. It was as though my body was swelling to the point of the size of the entire room. Mm. And like this kind of almost like earthquakey undulation of the body happened. And then here's the wild part. Like, I'm, and this might sound really fucking weird, but here we are. Um, uh, the, it was as though the ceiling kind of got blurry, but then it like parted. It's like it parted like the Red Sea, you know, but it's like it started to open and there was... It was like God, goddess, it was spirit, it was that. And it was above me, whatever it was, big guardian angel, it was something from spirit that was so present and so floating like right above me. And all of this light came into the room. Like I could see it again. It was, it was as a, I've never taken LSD, but I imagine if one ever did take LSD, this would be kind of what I think so. An experience could be like. Sounds very psychedelic. (laughs) Yeah, it was very psychedelic. And so anyway, so then I, and then I start crying Mm -hmm. because it's like, I felt so connected to everything and I'm orgasming, and I'm crying, and I'm orgasm, and it went on and on and on and on and on, and then I just like I just laid there and cried and laughed for probably like another fifteen minutes, and that's how I discovered my G spot. August. <laughs> ah, thank you so much for sharing that. It actually ties in so well with my listener question, who actually went through some trauma. So thank you mm. for sharing that. Um, you didn't even know <laughs> that I was going to ask you about that. Yeah. It felt, felt very meant to be. Um, so I really appreciate that. Yeah. How, how did that impact your sexuality moving forward? Oh my gosh. Well, it just got me hungrier and more curious because I was like, ooh, if my body can do that, what else can we do? <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah. So it was just like, ooh. And then I thought, okay, I, I, just, I was like, wow, okay, I can experience that with myself. Can I experience that with a partner? 
What is that going to be like? How do we, you know, how, how do we keep doing that? And and it, it opened up an, an entire new world, which actually got me on the path of what I've been doing now for 11 years, you know, which has been supporting women. I mean, this year I'm now have opened the work up to men, but for the past 11 years, it got me on the path of supporting women in what I call rocking their mojo. Oh, yeah. So it changed my life personally and professionally. <sighs> Orgasms are so powerful. I mean, there were so many layers to what you experienced, mm. but that orgasmic energy yes. is really incredible. Yes. And pairing that with some sort of intention, that's been one of my goals for this year after interviewing Kristen Soleil, who I know you have uh, read some of her work too, mm-hmm. um, but she actually used orgasm magic is one term yes, for that yes. to land a book deal. Yes. And uh, <laughs> if you're someone who's been interested in like vision boards or, you know, just try new things, see if this works, why not make it orgasmic? Exactly. Because yeah. that's life force, yeah. you know? And it's interesting because, pe- you know, people are like, well, well, wait a minute. If you're talking about, you know, mojo, I mean, aren't you talking about sex? And it's like, no, no, I'm not. And let's be really clear because sex and sexual energy are not the same thing. And I think that's a very important distinction. Even to this, I have been shouting this from the rooftops for 11 years, <laughs> and I'm going to continue to shout it because we need to hear it. Mm-hmm. But sex is really, in definition, simple. It is two or more, right? But <laughs> Two people having intercourse, right? Yeah. I mean, I mean depending. Some de- people define it a little bit differently. But like, basically, it's people having an act, yes. right? Like it's an act. Yeah, people having an act. And and so we complicate it. Okay? <laughs> Cuz really in definition, yeah. It's fucking simple. Okay? Right. Sim- a sex is. Yeah. Sexual energy is life force. And I invite and really in, I'm hoping to inspire some listeners to combine the two because many people are having a lot of sex where there's no sexual energy present. Mm, that is such a good point because mm. I'm a big fan of, you know, you want to get off, get off. That's yes. great. At the same time, if that is your go-to and your entire kind of expression of your sexuality and or your sexual energy, it can be very limiting. Mm -hmm. And I also really appreciate that you brought that up because you don't have to be having sex to be fully sexually empowered, to be full of this beautiful sexual energy. I mean, we're born Mm -hmm. sexual beings. Obviously we're not having sex, you know, till later in life. So it's, um, sex is, it's one small piece of our sexuality. Yes. Cause sexual energy we are born with. Yeah. It is that life yeah. force that every yeah. single one of us has. And people, you know, because people come to me and say, well, I've lost my mojo. Mm-hmm. I said, honey, please, you have not lost your mojo, okay? The volume dial got turned down. Mm. It's still in you. You always have it. It never goes away. Let's just show you how to turn the volume dial back up. Mm. Yeah. That's beautiful. And you do it so well in your work. Um, I know you work with individuals, you lead events, you have a, an exciting event coming up. I do. Tell us more. It's um, it's Rock Your Mojo Live. And it's really exciting because, again, it's the first time that I've opened the work up to men. So, and men have asked over the years, hey, I, I want to rock my mojo too. You know, like, where do I get some? And I've always said, oh, there's great men doing work out there. But finally, it just felt like it's time. So um, it is a two and a half day event where it gives you an opportunity to do a deep dive into these four pillars of mojo, right? So you get to try them on, you get to actually take them for a test drive that weekend. It's a very um, experiential event. It's not like a sit there and be lectured at event, right? Um, the other thing that's so beautiful about it is I, ha- I I feel very confident in saying every single person that has come to any of my live events over these last 10 years, they walk in the door one way. And it's not that that's a bad way at all. The, by the end of it, they are walking out more themselves, more self-expressed, more able to receive, mm. and much more connected to their mojo, which lights them up from the inside, mm. right? Because it's really about turning that mojo dial back up and so that you are emanating 
from the inside. Yeah. And that's that's what, so many other people. Yes, because that's what makes you magnetic. Yeah. And when you have that transformation, again, it's like it affects everything and everyone around you. Mm. So you get to be, you know, be the one mm. that then inspires all the others just by who you're being. Mm, yes, that's what happens at the event. <laughs> Amazing. So I know people can learn more about your work and also this event on you have a couple of websites what are the, what are the best places for people to well the hub the hub always is you know my main site uh deborah kagan.com and i'm a d-e-b-o-r-a-h hyphen k-a-g-a-n.com and so that's the hub for everything they can find the event through there they can find the podcast through there a little bit more about me and socials and all that fun stuff awesome i'll mm -hmm. be sure to drop a link in the show notes too mm -hmm. thank you so much for joining me i'm so glad that you have me on and thank you for having this conversation available to so many and thank you for leading it with mm. so much mojo my pleasure just one last word of wisdom from you what what message would you like people to go away with today you know, it's what my grandmother said to me um, from a very young age, which is just be beautiful from the inside out. And to remember that, you know, transformation is available in every single moment. As long as you want it, it's there for you. I love the sound of that. Learn more about Deborah Kagan and her upcoming Rock Your Mojo Live event at the link down in the show notes. Today's listener question is such an important one. It comes from Emily, who wrote this. I went through trauma that has made penetration triggering for me. Prior to that, I was always a G-spot girl. I miss that, but I can't seem to even start going there. I am isolating alone and thinking about using a toy for this. Do you think it's a good idea? Emily, you are awesome. Thank you so much for trusting us with your question, which I am sure others will relate to. Here is what Dr. Megan Fleming of greatlifegreatsex.com had to say. Emily, thank you so much for your question. And first, I just want to say, I think that it's great that you want to reclaim sort of pleasure in your body. And you know that uh, G-spot and penetration wants to really be a source of pleasure. And that's the thing about sex, that it absolutely can be both our greatest source of pleasure and connection. But unfortunately, it can also be some of the deepest and most profound pain, especially when we've experienced a traumatic event. And so, you know, in terms of your question, I would love to help you sort of take advantage of this time in isolation. That being said, honestly, when it comes to working with trauma, we weren't meant to go through a traumatic experience alone. And I, in my experience, being a therapist for 20 years can say that uh, when there's a, a significant traumatic experience that is still embodied, my gut is to tell you to reach out to a qualified therapist, someone who specializes in trauma. I'm going to talk a little bit about some of the different techniques, but I'll give you the rationale, which is because, you know, typically when there's been a trauma, there's sort of some sense of, you know, a break in expectations, uh, feelings of helplessness, isolation, and a powerlessness to stop. And so what often happens is in our nervous system, it creates sort of that freeze response, freeze or flight. And that's a survival instinct, but it's also uh, can wreak sort of havoc on a nervous system. And so my sense is you may not be aware of when you're sort of approaching that, um, what I consider that inevitability of sort of, it's, you know, it's a choice point when you slow down, um, and we'll talk more about what that could look like, slowing down stimulation so that it doesn't evoke um, the sense of anxiety, the constriction, um, the panic, or you, you could tell me more what your specific symptoms are. Um, but importantly, that when and if you get to a place of really, we call it the amygdala hijack, at that point, we sort of say, no, all rational thinking is offline. And so I certainly don't want you to get to a place like that on your own when you don't have the support of a therapist. So that being said, you also know I often refer to we all are our own expert. And so um, the place I would start with, if you want to think about doing this on your own, is just visualization. Can you even imagine and picture remembering sort of the past pleasure that you used to experience with uh, vaginal penetration and or G-spot? Like, can you still evoke a body memory of a pleasant experience? Or even has that sort of been hijacked? That even the thought of penetration, does that evoke a visceral response or some of the um, 
that feeling of trauma because I always sort of say visualization is the first place to start. That if in your mind's eye, when nothing's actually happening, just the thought of it evokes a stress response, that would be my first indication that absolutely you'd want to be doing this work with a therapist. When and if, however, it feels like you're not overwhelmed by that and you still have some positive memories, you know, I would take you more along the line of what we refer to as sort of systematic desensitization, which is sort of a behavioral technique, which is the counter conditioning and that basically it's a way of reducing anxiety and sort of those associated symptoms. And so in this case, we call it subjective units of distress, um, zero to 100. So maybe the thought of, again, with external clitoral stimulation, does that evoke any anxiety? Yes or no. You want to go from a place of zero anxiety to, okay, 100 is like the most you can experience. So probably starting your first target would be like a 10 or a 20. Um, so maybe that maybe just a finger, one finger for penetration. Um, and then I imagine that you know penetration, even the sex toy, you might already be, say, at an 80 or 90. So the whole point is as you're working on your own, you don't want to be what I call flooding yourself. You know, my expression is you put a toe in the water, you don't jump in the deep end of the pool. And so especially working with trauma, you want to evoke just a little bit of the discomfort and the anxiety and the experience and the symptoms that come up for you. And then you want to pair that with relaxation and a sense of mastery, knowing that you can take all the time that you need. Um, and that nothing needs to happen, regaining that sense of um, control. And so, you know, one technique is the behavioral piece of systematic desensitization. Another one that's often really helpful for trauma is um, EMDR, which is eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. Um, and then another also is called EFT, uh, which is the emotional freedom technique or tapping technique, which is on acupressure points. And the goal there is to successfully release the emotional pain that is associated with those traumatic memories. So, again, I gave you sort of an overarching view of some of the treatments that are available, and there are many, including also AEDP, um, which is Accelerated Experiential Dynamic Psychotherapy. Um, but what I highly recommend is, first of all, you know that you don't want to live the rest of your life not reclaiming uh, pleasure that you get from penetration and G-spot. And so... I want you to know you have all the time to take the time, have all the time to take the time that you need and to, again, first start with visualization, creating your own hierarchy, sort of a little bit of anxiety or tension. Um, and when you pair that with something that is pleasurable um, or erotic or relaxing, do you find that the experience shifts in your body? Because ultimately we're trying to uh, extinguish, right, that vigilant response or that traumatic response. And as I said, that mostly I would say this is work that is done in conjunction with a therapist. Um, and the great thing is that oftentimes that can be not accessible, but that now that we're sort of all quarantined, you know, so many therapists, if not all of them, are really offering online um, psychotherapy. And so they can also, I think that the idea here is that you go with somebody who could really guide you through um, or create a treatment plan so that you can sort of step-by-step step work through this trauma. So as always, would love to hear how it goes. Thanks so much, Dr. Megan. I love what she shared about seeking support if you can, easing in and guiding with your own expertise. Emily, I hope you'll take whatever steps feel the most helpful and nourishing to you. You might also find the recent episode here uh, called Sex Toy Trends and Sensual Healing helpful. My engineer, Mackenzie, shared ways her own healing journey was helped by a toy. It's probably my favorite toy segment we've had. We are all cheering for you so hard. Oh my gosh, pun not intended, but <laughs> I'll take it. I also want to mention that uh, a previous guest, fantastic therapist Jamila Dawson, is currently offering special rates for remote therapy. She's one of the most brilliant and compassionate people and experts I know. You would be so lucky to work with her. Here's what she shared on Instagram. Marginalized communities are being hit hard and I am here to help. For the next two months, I'm offering a select what you can afford sliding scale from 100 to 175. You and I can collaborate to develop pleasure-positive, trauma-informed practices to help you move through these times. 
you can reach out to her at her website, www.jamiladawson.com. I'll share that link in the show notes too, or on Instagram at everydayerotic. And if you're enjoying Girl Boner Radio, please share episodes with your friends or tag us on social media, facebook.com forward slash mygirlboner, girlboner media on Instagram, my name on Twitter. I love hearing from people and ratings and reviews mean a lot too. Thank you so much for listening and have a beautiful Girl Boner Embracing Week. Girl Boner Radio is owned, operated, and executively produced by me, August McLaughlin, with technical producer and audio extraordinaire, Mackenzie Mazel, as part of the Period Podcast Network, an affiliate of Starburns Industries. Learn more about the Girl Boner podcast brand movement and book series at girlboner.org and more about Period at periodnetwork.com. 